Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir and instrumentalists for leading us so well and beautifully this morning. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'm certainly thankful for the opportunity to get to speak to you this morning. This morning we start a new series out of John's Gospel, and our pastor will continue that and expound over the upcoming weeks, and so you'll want to be here. John's Gospel is a wealth of truth. There are some names that everyone knows. They're household names. When you hear them, you know just who they are. When you see them, there is no mistaking their identity, no questioning who they are. Recently, I was in California with my wife, and I decided after dinner one day to go inside a small bakery. In fact, my wife sent me in there. She said, go get us a couple things. We'll go sit outside and enjoy this beautiful SoCal weather. So I go in this small bakery, and it's about the size of maybe a home office or something like that. There's five or six people in front of me, and so the room is full. I'm standing at the back of the door waiting for my turn to uh, make my order. Well, just then the door opens behind me. A man walks in. Obviously, he doesn't want to be noticed. He's got a hat pulled down tight over his head. He's got big glasses on. He wants to be covert. He wants to be veiled. He wants to be incognito. The only trouble is this man is enormous. And I'm not talking kind of big. I'm talking huge. This man is much, much taller than I am. He just looks like somebody. He's very athletic, super tall. And so to be honest, as much as he didn't want to be noticed, he stuck out like a sore thumb. Turns out uh, some of us look like we belong in a bakery. <laughs> while others do not. Well, I looked at him for a moment and all eyes were glued to him. And then it hit me. I knew exactly who it was. This guy is an L.A. legend. He's a basketball king. It was none other than Kobe Bryant. There was just a handful of us in the room, and we're all staring at him. But don't worry. I've been around famous people before. I work every day with someone who is unequivocally panhandle famous, Dr. Howard Batson, so I know how to behave in such situations. Instinctively, I wanted to point at him and yell at him his own name, but instead I held back and just settled for a gaping mouth and incessant staring. He pays quickly, apparently he's called ahead and he goes to the counter, he gets two big bags of baked goods and he walks towards the door where I'm standing by the indoor. He's going out the outdoor. He opens the door. He looks at me. He smiles. He nods and he walks out. I'll probably look him up the next time in LA because I'm pretty sure we're best friends now. <laughs> Everyone knew who he was, and right after he walks out, a, a man from outside busts through the door and he goes, whatever that guy had, I want two of them, and the room <laughs> erupts. 
On the other hand, there are, there are times where everyone knows someone but you. Everybody recognizes them, but you can't place them. Someone keeps getting mentioned over and over, and you don't have a clue who they are. We've all been there. Sometimes you're the odd man out when everyone knows someone but you. Talk around the office cooler, continually concentrated on some character, and you have to pretend that you're privy to the person. We've all been there, left in the dark, needing enlightenment. It's like that family game of Trivial Pursuit reserved for holidays. If you're playing the classic version, the older generations do incredibly well because you have no idea who is on the cards. When you pick up the card and read Yul Brynner, Grandma pipes in and says, oh, no, hon. No, it's Yul Brynner. And then she goes on and she gets the question perfectly right and they dominate the game. You're going, who are these people? In the new version of the game, flip the script, the younger generation, often victorious, finally after years of being relegated to the kids' table, youths reign supreme. Grandma picks up the card and reads, which Lady Gaga, Gaga, A fresh-faced cousin pipes in, oh, it's Lady Gaga, Grandma, and then answers correctly and then is begrudgingly handed a piece of pie to add to that little wheel of wisdom. By the way, you ever stepped on one of those pieces of pie? You'd remember. Little landmines. Never is this concept more evident in cinema than in the epic coming-of-age sports film, The Sandlot. Scotty Smalls moves to L.A. in the 60s. He's new to the neighborhood. It's summertime. His mom wants him to go out and make friends, but he's reluctant, a bit shy. The trouble is everybody in his neighborhood, all the boys play baseball. The thing about Scotty is he knows nothing about baseball, and he's terrible at baseball. Eventually, he meets up with them, makes friends, and over time, some of them take him under his wing, and they progress, and he gets better. Well, one day, one of the fellow players is pretending to be Babe Ruth, and he says, I'm the great Bambino, takes a point out of the outfield. I'm the great Bambino. Scotty says, who? The team is aghast. What did he say? Were you born in a barn, man? Yeah. Yeah, what planet are you from? Scotty thought to himself, there was no way he could let them know. You've never heard of the Sultan of Swat, the Titan of Terror, the Colossus of Clout, the Colossus of Clout, the King of Crash, man. So Scotty lies. Oh, yeah, the Great Bambino, of course. I I thought you said the Great Bambi. (laughs) That wimpy deer? Yeah, I guess, sorry. Eventually, this would come back to bite him, literally and figuratively, as the beast, the nasty neighborhood dog, takes a bite out of his dad-signed Babe Ruth baseball that he took from his trophy case to play ball with, unaware of the significance of the signature. The beast then guards it with the ferocity you would expect of a junkyard dog. He had no idea who this mysterious Babe Ruth character was. The magnitude of that name was lost on him. 
We've all been that one who doesn't know who everybody is talking about. We've all been in the dark waiting to be enlightened. The beginning of John's gospel may hit us with that same ambiguity. In this somewhat perplexing prologue of the book, John refers to someone significant as the Word. An interesting name, it certainly seems a bit vague on the surface, although maybe mysterious to modern ears. Both Greeks and Jews would have been familiar with the phrase, although they would assign different meanings and values to that name. And using the term, the word, or in the original language, the logos, John was using a phrase that was familiar to them. And he obviously chose this term because it was recognizable to readers, but he would give them a new definition to the expression. And although John's gospel isn't one of the synoptic gospels, all four books begin by placing Jesus in a historical context. But John's prologue is pretty peculiar. Matthew opens up with Jesus' genealogy. Mark commences with a wild man preaching in the wilderness. Luke launches into a dedication and a prediction of John the Baptist's birth. But John jumps in with this overtly thick, theologically powerful preface. John is essentially saying, I I want to tell you all the stories. We're going to get to those. But before we do anything, you need to know just who we're dealing with here. There are some names we need to know, we need to understand, and many names are notable. But there is one name, strikingly significant. Astonishingly amazing, indescribably wonderful. Knowing and comprehending his name is critical, crucial, life-altering for you and I. John is speaking of this name when he writes of the word. And friends, there is weight behind the word. This morning, I want you to give your attention to John's gospel. Listen to his words as he speaks of the word and how he answers who is the word. John's word from God's word has power and potential to transform in your life today. Will you turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, turn on your Bible to John chapter 1, and let's read it together. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that had come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There are a few phrases I want you to remember, phrases that John answers this question, who is the word? The first one is this, the word is the eternal God. The word is the eternal God. Well, spoiler alert, it's true. The right answer in Sunday school and in worship services generally is Jesus. The overarching aim of John's gospel is to produce faith in his audience that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this first chapter, he supports this claim. 
John starts by showing us that Jesus, the Word, is eternal God. These first verses are easily some of the most, if not the most overtly theological verses in all of scripture. It's brimming with doctrinal truth. In the beginning was the word, not in the beginning the word began. No, when the world began, when it, when it all started, the word was already there. Christ was pre-existent. You could think of it this way, before the world was, the word was with this illusion that has striking parallel to the first familiar phrasing of Genesis 1-1 in John 1-1. John takes the phrase, he points us from a point of time, then to the beginning of creation, to the absolute preexistence before any creation. It's like the old church custodian who had served for many years at the same rural church. It's like what he told the new youth pastor. Son, I was here before you, I'll be here long after you're gone. <laughs> he is timeless, permanent, perpetual, abiding, unending, immortal, eternal, everlasting God of eternity, the Word. Jesus was preexistent to the world's inception. So when John says, in the beginning, the word was. John is showing us the word in eternity. He then continues and says, the word was with God. This denotes a special communion with God, an unending fellowship in the Trinity. And that word with is the Greek paras, implies not just proximity, but a personal relationship, a nearness in company with, distinct from God, but tethered to him, eternally associated with him, the God of eternity. The word has always been in a relationship with God the Father and the Spirit. The Word was with God. John shows us not just the Word in eternity, but the Word in Trinity. And then he adds the Word was God. Not the Word was a God, but the Word was God. Jesus is God. So significant to our understanding and our faith in the person of Jesus. He is God. The Word was God, John shows us. John shows us the Word is Deity. So this big idea, the first key, key to who Jesus, the Word, is, is that he is eternal God. And in that, John shows us he is the Word in eternity, in trinity, and in deity, that the Word is timeless, trinitarian, and truly God. And you may be saying, Brad, that is great. That is a lot of theology. I get it. That is wonderful. But i got to ask, what, is, what does that have to do with me? Well, if the Word is eternal God, let me just ask you, what do you have going on in your life that, that eternal God can't handle? Is there a relationship conflict that eternal God can't deal with? Is there a problem at work that has eternal God all bewildered? The issue that's captivating your mind with anxiety hasn't got God all anxious too. 
What you're dealing with didn't just dawn on him. He, in fact, is eternal God. Before the world was, the word was. He preexisted prior to our problems. He was around before we ever got here, long before we ever got on the scene. The truth is before the universe, before planets, a sun, moons, stars, before all creation, dinosaurs, dynasties have come and gone. Before inventions, advancements, enlightenments, age after age, countless kings, entire kingdoms have come and conquered and then crumbled over and over again before all the political problems that plague our world, before the doctors ever spoke those words, before we suffered the lost, before all the conflict that we faced, before it all, during it all, the word was and is eternal God. Why does it matter to you and me? We will never face a day when the word Jesus won't be eternal God. He'll always be enough for whatever we may face. The word. Do you know him? John tells us the word is eternal God. A second truth he gives us, the word is the creator. Look at verse three with me. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's the creator of all things. The word was the agent of creation. All creation was made by the word in relation with the Father and the Spirit. That's why we hear in Genesis chapter 1, and then God said, let us make man in our image. Listen to what Paul even says to the Corinthians. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, by through whom all things we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things exist through him. I love Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Listen to it closely. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And I love the last verse. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How important is that hand? That hand that just doesn't just form the dust, but also holds our world, our entire world together. God's eternal creating hands that that shape us, that save us, that secure us. That's an important reminder. The world around us may be falling apart, but Jesus is creator. Jesus holds all things together. Everything may be in disarray, but he holds all things together. Could be that our families are fractured, but be reminded that Jesus holds all things together. Your heart can be broken in a million pieces, and yet the word holds all things together. The Word doesn't just create physically, but also spiritually. He doesn't just specialize in new construction. He's also an expert in renovations. Paul says if anyone's a new Christ in Christ, he's a a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Martin Luther said that this creator, that the creator himself coming to be our ransom, this is the reason for our rejoicing. The word is creator.
the Word. Do you know him? John tells us the Word is the eternal God. The Word is the Creator. Let me show you a third truth in verses 4 and 5. In him was life and the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Did not comprehend it is an interesting phrase. It's not a typical Johannine jargon. John is just constantly using interesting imagery, dealing out double meaning. It's not just that the darkness didn't comprehend it, understand it. It's that the darkness couldn't overpower the light. It couldn't overcome the light of the world. Who is the word? He is the eternal God. He is the creator, and then he is the overcomer. Truly, Jesus is life and gives life. Jesus would say himself, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Christ claims that he's the resurrection and the life. As the Bible teaches us, as believers, we are given everlasting life through the word when God gave his only begotten son. And truly, Jesus, the word is also light. John would write of a different John. John the Baptist, he wasn't the light, but he would tell of the true light. Jesus proclaimed he was the light of the world. When Jesus foretold of his death, he said, for a little while longer, light is among you. Walk while you have the light. John too would pin from Patmos about a heavenly city in which we would need no sun for the lamb would be the light. Jesus is the life and the light of men. And the darkness could not comprehend, could not conquer, couldn't overcome the light. Listen to John 16, These things have I spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 37, Paul said, yet in these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. It takes just a little light to dispel the darkness. That little Bethlehem baby, that seemingly small spark would light the entire world. Don't let this be lost on you. Jesus, the word, is a conqueror, the overcomer. He is the light, and the darkness cannot get a hold of it, cannot grasp it, cannot snuff it out. When we are overwhelmed with the weight of the world, when we are burdened with the brokenness we see in the lives of those we love, know the word, Jesus, he is the overcomer. When we consider the desperate dark corners of our own hearts, when we meditate on and measure our past mistakes, when we see the sin that so easily besets us, let us see a crimson cross. Let us see an empty tomb. Let us see him reigning at the right hand of the Father. The Word, Jesus Christ, is the overcomer. Oh, the darkness couldn't comprehend the light. It was unable to overpower it. The Word, do you know Him? He is eternal God. He is the Creator. He is the overcomer. Look at verse 14, and then we'll look at 11 and 12. And the Lord and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory as the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now verse 11, he came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Whereas the other gospels gave a backstory of a baby born in Bethlehem, they give us some cherished childhood memories of Christ. John, in an incredible economy of words, just simply says, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. The eternal God, the creator of the universe, the light and the life that could not be overcome came into this world and made his home here, assembled his tabernacle, set up his tent where we were. Many people didn't accept him. In fact, his own people rejected him. But to those that received him, he gave them the power to become sons and daughters of God. Moving from fallen to family, they found salvation. Their condition changed. Their souls saved. A final phrase, the word is the Savior. He is incarnate God. He didn't merely appear like a man. He became one. Christ was not an apparition, a phony phantom, a spirit when he showed up. No, the disciples had a convincing opportunity to know him, to see him, to touch him. that gave them surety of the reality of Jesus coming in the flesh. Listen to what John wrote in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. From the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, what we've touched concerning the word of life. He wept, thirsted, bled, and died. He came in the flesh. He came for you and for me, just as Luke lined out too. He came to seek and to save. It was foretold by an angel. He was born to save the world. John would time and time again call him the Savior. Those that rejected him found condemnation. Those that received him found salvation. The word is the savior. Do you know him? Uh, just for a moment, I wonder if you would humor me and consider, consider yourself to be in a job interview. Uh, we've all been there before. You go in, you're, you're dressed as best you could. You wear your favorite clothes. You make sure everything looks nice and you're waiting. They call your name in. You go in, there's the HR representative and they begin to talk to you, ask you those familiar questions. Tell us what you do well, yada, yada, yada. We do. Well, tell us, now what do you struggle with? Well, you know, Don, I guess uh, what it is, I just care too much. And you go on and you just talk through the interview. It goes great. You think you crushed it. A couple days come and go. You get the phone call. Listen, you did well, but it turns out there's someone who is just far more qualified than you. Much, much better for the job. You're disappointed. But sometimes it's better that you don't get the job. Sometimes you're better off without it. Better for the, the candidate who is more qualified to fill that position. When it comes to the position of running your life, Jesus is just way more qualified. Compare resumes with me for a moment. Jesus, eternal God, you, not. <laughs> Jesus, creator of the universe, you, you made a macaroni necklace in kindergarten. Also not creator God. Jesus, overcomer of the world, you, easily overcome. Jesus, Savior of the world, you desperately in need of a Savior. 
The truth is Jesus is just way more qualified to be the Lord of your life than you are. And I can attest, he's way more qualified to be the Lord of my life than I am. Why don't you give him his rightful place? John wants you to recognize just who he is. Can you say this morning, Jesus the word, he is my God. He is my creator. He's my overcomer. He is my savior. Maybe you're in that situation today where everyone seems to know Jesus but you. John's words about the words, they, they confront us. They demand a response. And we're faced with a few questions this morning. Ask yourself, have I received him as savior? Have I given him my life in surrender? Am I following the word who John describes fully with my life? See, there are some names we need to know. We need to understand, and many names are notable. But there is one name, strikingly significant, astonishingly amazing, indescribably wonderful. Knowing and comprehending him, his name is, is critical, it's crucial, it's life-altering for you and I. Jesus, the word is that name. Do you know him? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study this passage that is so thick and so rich and overwhelmingly feel, filled with truth about you. God, John, John shows us just, just who you are. The magnitude of your name. Just what happened when you came and you dwelt among us. God, that kind of truth, that kind of reality, it demands a response from us. There is no place that can be filled, no rightful seat for eternal God other than Lord, Lord of our lives. God, help us today. Would you speak to us through your word and through your spirit? It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Will you stand with me? I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart this morning. I don't know what your need is. Maybe today is the day where you do receive Jesus as Lord. Maybe today will be the day where you join this great church. Whatever your need is, as the music plays, I pray that you'll come.